This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Gianna Ramirez. And I'm Elijah Cage. Tonight we get updates on the upcoming APS school board elections, and we learn about an author who writes for youth of color in the Southwest. First, we will speak with Isabella Baker and Jacob Martinez, two youth organizers with VIA, Youth Voices in Action. Then, author Matt Mendez shares his inspiration for the young adult novel, Barely Missing Everything. As we learn about these topics tonight, it is important to remind you that this program is broadcast on stolen indigenous land. Youth Voices in Action, or VIA, is an organization of youth who actively work to change our education system. VIA recently co-hosted a forum on anti-racism with the 2019 school board candidates to discuss ways they could address racism in APS schools. Now, GJ producer Zan Dixon speaks with Isabella and Jacob Martinez from Youth Voices in Action. This is Zan Dixon with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Isabella Baker and Jacob Martinez, two youth organizers with VIA, Youth Voices in Action. Isabella Baker is a senior at UNM who has been involved with the community since she was nine. Jacob Martinez is a sophomore at AHS who has led social justice workshops at his school. Welcome both of you to Generation Justice. Hi, thank you for having us. Hi, thank you for having us. Nice to meet you. Um, so can you guys please share some more about your guys' self? Um, I'm Jacob Martinez. Um, I've been doing youth work for a really long time, about five years now. I've been working with VIA for about three to four. Um, it's taught me so much as a person, so much about the community, and so much how we can impact our world and our schools across the nation. Yeah, and um, like you said, I am currently at UNM. I'm double majoring in psychology and Chicano studies. I will graduate either in May or December of next year. Um, so I'm super excited for that and to go to grad school. And yeah, I've been involved with VIA um, for a long time. And I'm excited to have Jacob here with me to talk a little bit more about it. So what really um, got you to get involved with VIA? How'd you guys get involved? Um, I got involved in VIA when I was in middle school. There was a gun shooting that happened in Florida and it really just moved me to take a little action about our school and how we could show our respects to them. And I led a walkout which ran very well and VIA helped me get there and it was great. And I got involved with VIA back in 2015 when it started. Um, I was part of a summer program called YES, um, the Youth Employment Summer Institute. And um, the organizations that were a part of it um, had to do things together sometimes. And um, we went to a meeting that 
um, my coworker Janelle hosted. Um, that was the first Youth Voices in Action meeting, and ever since then, um, I got involved and stayed a part of watching it grow and helping to build it from when it was a meeting that we did once a month at Albuquerque Public Schools headquarters to after-school programs that we have now. So, Jacob, you've, like, at such a young age, you started this walkout. That was pretty successful. What really inspired you to get involved? Um, I just thought that um, our students could be a little more informed on what had happened and how we could show our respects to other people we did not know, but we still had those emotional connections, too, just because we were in school, they were in school, and we really... We really just felt like it hit home to us. Like, we're the ones in school, and it's happening more often. Um, you get um, shooters uh, who decide to shoot high schools, or you get someone who walks in with the gun. And it just, it's a daily thing now that happens in our United States, and it's really sad to some of us. And Isabella is like at age nine, you started. So, what uh, inspired you? Um, well, I come from a family of organizers. My stepmom, um, who used to work at the Organizers in the Land of Enchantment, or Olay, um, got me involved. She did work around early education, um, being an early education center owner. And um, so she would take me along with her to legislative meetings and to talk to legislators and to meetings that she was having in her community. And um, I just really loved it and loved being involved in it. And so I stayed doing it. And I had my first internship when I was 15 um, where I met Janelle and I learned more about VIA and got involved with it. So It's really cool. So um, what are some of the programs that are available for students? Right now we have a lot of after-school programs and in-lunch programs that um, Bella could tell you more about at the high schools. Yeah, um, we have after-school programs um, that teach youth um, youth advocacy and how to um, use their voice and their rights to create changes that they want to see in the schools. Um, we have after-school programs at Albuquerque High School, Otrisco High School, Highland High School, Rio Grande High School, Washington Middle School and George I. Sanchez Middle School. Um, we build every year to our group of schools that we have. And um, we do everything from um, helping students create campaigns around better school lunch programs to um, the curriculum that they're learning and how to um, have curriculum where they see themselves reflected in it and anti-racism trainings and all that cool stuff. Uh, so can you tell us about the anti-racism forum and like you know what you learned about some of the candidates who attended? Yeah, so um, the anti-racism forum that we co-hosted, um, we learned from some of the candidates that are that are currently school board members that they are definitely listening um, to all the things that Via and young people have been telling them over the years that they've been school board members um, and that they've learned from the anti-racism trainings that they've attended with us and different things like that. Um, and so that was really good to hear that they've been listening and that they understand more what we're saying and the questions that we're asking. And some of the newer um, people that are running um, didn't necessarily have 
a racial or social justice lens that they quite understood yet. So um, something that they can learn more from um, and get more strong in because I think that that's important for um, a school board member to understand. And then there was um, school board members that are, or school board candidates that are running that had an exceedingly high um, understanding of racial and social justice um, over the current candidates too now. So that was cool too. Um, I think it went um, very well that um, some of them are informed and some of them aren't so much informed and that they could do a better job listening to us. Like um, the people who vote, we think that 16 and 17 year olds should be allowed to vote for this because it affects us. Um, We are the ones in school and it has to do with us. And um, yeah. I agree. Um, So what are some of the things we should know about the school board election? What are some of the questions like on the... So there are two issues on the ballot that deal with um, the public education system. Um, There's, of course, the school board candidates and voting for um, your school board candidate if you're in the district that is up for election this year. And then there is a bond question, and the bond question um, has to do with allocating $100 million to structure and materials for schools. Um, Like I hear from students that I work with at Rio Grande all the time about their water quality, about um, not having access to air conditioning or heating or different things like that, which is super important for young people um, to have in schools because if they don't have a healthy and comfortable environment, then they can't they can't learn. And I hope that that money, if it does pass, is allocated to help those structural issues. Um, Because I know in the past there has been issues with like, you know, building new football fields, which is good. But um, there are things in other schools that should be addressed first. So what are you guys' messages to the board members and some of the candidates? One of my message would be is um, that I'm still in school and like we have a lot of people coming from different backgrounds and all over the country, all over the world, um, and they want to attend our schools. But our education is outdated. They want us in textbooks to praise these white like idols, people that sailed across the ocean. But like what they don't talk about is how in Christopher Columbus, how he um, enslaved ethnic people and how like how it affects us because they want us to idolize these people. But I don't want to idolize someone that did something like that. And for me, I think that um, school board candidates should know and be willing to listen to young people like Jacob and um, the concerns that they have for their education and um, what they want to see in their education because they're the ones that are learning it and they're the ones that are um, getting what they get out of it. And so they're the experts in their fields. And um, I am very glad to see, like I said, um, people listening to Youth Voices in Action and our students like Jacob and what they want to want the candidates to know and listen to already. So I'm excited to see who gets elected and how they choose to work with Youth Voices in Action. It's really cool. So uh, where can people go to find more information on VIA? Um, we do have a website. So it's viaabq.webly.com. And you could also find us on Facebook. Um, and then you could just look up via Albuquerque.
good stuff. Anything else you guys would like to add? Yes, if you want to learn more about Youth Voices in Action or get involved, uh, we have our monthly VIA general meeting where anybody can come. Um, uh, also, just a reminder that these meetings are for young people. Adults can attend, but they're not allowed to talk. Um, and this is on November 9th um, from 1 to 3 p.m. at the Southwest Organizing Project. Um, so we hope to see some new people there and see people getting involved. And um, one more thing that I wanted to add is make sure to check out our social media and some of the Get Out the Vote stuff we're doing before the school board election on November 5th. And also, if you're interested, like Bawa said, um, you could go to one of those um, weekly um, after school and lunch um, attendances we do throughout the high schools in Albuquerque. Thank you, Isabella and Jacob, for coming and for sharing what you guys know and, um, you know, just for being here. Yeah, thank you for hosting us. Thank you for having us. For Generation Justice, I'm Zan Dixon. Thank you, Isabella and Jacob, for being here with us today and talking about the work that you guys are doing to change the educational system. And thank you, Zan, for a great interview. Thank you both for joining us. We've selected some music in honor of the work you do. Here is The Kids Are Alright by Chloe and Haley, followed by Treat the Youths Right by Jimmy Cliff, two songs about the power of youth. Mendez is the author of the young adult novel Barely Missing Everything and the short story collection Twitching Heart. Matt grew up in El Paso and his work has appeared in Pank, The Literary Review, and many other places. Now, youth producer Kenya Alonzo speaks with the author Matt Mendez about his latest book. This is Kenya Alonzo with Generation Justice and I'm speaking with Matt Mendez. Matt, welcome to Generation Justice. Hi, thank you for having me. Could you tell us a little about yourself? Certainly. I'm from El Paso, Texas originally, and I live in Tucson, Arizona. And I've, I'm a graduate from the University of Arizona, and I have my MFA from there as well. And I've been all over the country. I was active duty in the Air Force for four years, and I'm now in the Arizona Air National Guard, and I've traveled around this country and have been writing and working full time and I'm just excited to be here and get the chance to talk about Barely Missing Everything, my YA debut. Great, thank you. Now, will you talk about your book? Uh, sure can. It's the story of uh, three characters, three main characters. The first character is Juan, who is 
the best basketball player on the worst team in the district. And he's in his senior year of high school, and the scholarships haven't been coming. And the reason they haven't been coming is because he's terrible at school. His grades are no good, and he doesn't know quite what he's going to do. And for his whole life, it's just been him and his ma. And he's been pretty good with it that way, except when his mom has uh, a boyfriend. He doesn't like these boyfriends. He calls them the random boyfriends. And whenever these boyfriends show up in his mom's life, he does whatever he can to make their lives miserable, which is understandable. I mean, who's really going to be cool with their mom's boyfriends? Certainly not Juan. And when these boyfriends show up, a reason he becomes angry and, and tries to uh, annoy them is because deep down they remind him of the man he's never met, which is his father. This person has been a big mystery to him. His mother never has told him who his father is. And every time Juan looks in the mirror, he sees a mystery because he doesn't look like his mother. He doesn't look like his grandfather. He doesn't look like anybody on, this, on uh, his mom's side of the family. So Juan wonders who he's going to be. And uh, that's the big mystery for him. And then one day he finds a letter from a man on death row. And he, he reads this letter. It's to his mom. It's from an old boyfriend. And he wonders if this man could be his father. And so Juan becomes full of anxiety and he, and he uh, starts to get these ideas in his head. And that's Juan's journey throughout the book. The second character is Fabi. She's Juan's mom. And when she was in high school, she was a lot like her son. She wasn't the best student either. She wasn't the golden child. That was her sister, Gladie, who was the class everything. She was the apple of her dad's eyes. And then her mother died of cancer. And that derailed poor Fabi's life. It caused her to kind of act out, to start drinking. And then she found herself pregnant. And she didn't know what to do. So she ended up dropping out of school she couldn't live under her dad's my house, my rules kind of patriarchy and firm-headedness. So she had her son, moved out to this sketchy apartment. From then on, she's been living with just her and her son. 17 years later, she's still in the same apartment. But she's surviving, and she's making it. But she finds herself pregnant again, and she doesn't know what to do. The third character is JD, and that's Juan's best friend. He's... Not the best basketball player on the team, but he's also not the worst basketball player. He's in the middle. And in Juan's family, or in JD's family, I should say, he's also in the middle. He's got a sister, an older sister, who's always telling him what to do, and a younger brother who's always ratting him out. He's got a mom who wants him to go to church all the time, and he's got a dad who's always at work who he never sees. So for Juan, or for JD, and his name is Juan Diego, so that's why I keep calling him Juan because him and his best friend have the same name and it becomes confusing for them. But JD, he's, uh, he's kind of a ghost in his own family and he doesn't know where he fits in. And then one day he discovers his father's secret. He discovers that his father's having an affair and he doesn't know what to do. And then these three stories all kind of overlap and braid with each other as the story moves forward. Wow, thank you. Could you tell us about what motivated you to tell this story? So the story started way back in 2009. I was at a writer's conference 
in uh, Vermont, and it's this lovely writers' conference. And while I was there, kind of you know enjoying the wonderful heralds of uh, Vermont, being in the company of other writers, and I had the good fortune of having a short story accepted for publication with this journal. This editor, she sent me uh, some questions about my story, and the story was about this young girl who uh, was a writer. She was a poet. And she was writing her poems down, and then she was hiding them in her mom's family Bible because nobody was going to look in there. She didn't want anybody to find her poems, and she knew nobody would check in there. It was just the big Bible that everybody has in their house. She would jam them in there. And why she didn't want anybody to find these poems is because they were about her brother who was on death row. And her brother had been sentenced and locked away when she was a little girl, and now she was a senior in high school. And that's how long somebody can be on death row. They can be there for for decades. And his execution date was coming up, and she was wondering what his last words were going to be. And this was a thought that, that she just kept thinking over and over, and she was writing about them, wondering. So this editor wanted to know if this was true, if Texas documented death row inmates' last words. And this is absolutely true. Texas has this huge database where they collect the last words of of executed inmates. So I sent her the link that shows uh, all these inmates' last words. And there's also, if you look on this database, it uh, chronicles everybody who's on there, where they're from, where they went to school, where they were arrested. It's this huge database of everybody who's on death row. And while I sent her the link, I found uh, a man on there who had my exact birthday, day and year. And uh, I was I was kind of surprised to find to find him on there. So of course I clicked on his information and started reading a little bit about him. He was from a small town in Texas. He was Chicano like me, and I just these questions about about uh, divergent paths, like how did how did this man end up on death row, and how did I end up in this writers conference in Vermont? And the same month and year that. He was uh, put on death row. It was the same month and year I graduated from the University of Arizona. So our lives took these two divergent paths. So it just started, you know, I started asking myself all these questions, like what happened in his life that put him here and how did I end up over here? And those were the seeds for the story. Wow, thanks for sharing that. That's like really big and personal. So thank you. Mm -hmm. How do you connect with the characters in your work? They're very personal to me. I'm kind of like this, I don't want to say a method writer, but I am kind of that way where I really try to get into the headspace of of the characters where I make playlists, I think of movies they would like, and I'll watch those movies. And I really get in the headspace of, of the characters that I'm, that I'm writing and will talk like them, act like them, much to the uh, annoyance of everyone around me, to include my wife, who gets mad if I start acting like a sullen teenager all the time. So that's the problem, I guess, when you're writing young adult fiction, is I would act like some of the moody teens when I'm writing. But I think in order to write characters that feel real, you have to try to embody the headspace that these characters are feeling and some of the emotional turmoil that they're going through to try to relive those experiences emotionally. Could you share with us what you hope readers will gain from your work? So when I was young and in high school, I never encountered a book where 
I was at the center of the story where I could look and find a young Matt Mendez as the protagonist. So in my writing, I want to make, you know, me, my culture, my family, where I'm from, the Southwest, to be, you know, a big giant character in the story. I, to me, it's super important. So I want, you know, a young reader to be able to pick up my book and hold it and be like, here I am. My stories are important. Our stories are important. My culture, where I'm from, this part of the country matters. And for me, I'm, I want that to be a huge part of what I do and what I want readers to take away from this book. Thank you. And thank you for putting in the work to make sure that brown kids all over the country and all over the world have some variety Absolutely. to choose from. So thank you. What is it about young adult novels that capture the interests of all ages? I think that time in your life is such an important part of who we end up becoming. There's such a search for identity that I think never goes away. So there's a there's an adult point of view character in the book. And it was important for me to have an adult character in the book because I think the conflicts that you have as a young person don't necessarily go away. So Fabi, when she gets pregnant, is can't live under her father's rules. He's like, my house, my rules. She can't uh, abide by that. It's too hard for her. But those, those rules and that conflict didn't just disappear because she grew up. That conflict still is part of the novel. Even as an adult, she still has to kind of negotiate this uh, relationship she has with her father. And just because you become older doesn't mean trying to find an identity, trying to resolve these conflicts with your parents just magically disappear because they don't. So it was important for me to have a book with uh, a young adult novel with young characters that are trying to find out who they are, trying to negotiate their relationships with their parents, and them to see that adults are still dealing with these same kind of conflicts and they, they don't just wash away with age. Could you tell us about how your visit to New Mexico has been going? Oh, it's been fantastic. I got to visit a couple of high schools. The opportunity to speak to young people and share not only the stories of the novel, but my personal story with them has been really fulfilling. I know I came from a really working class neighborhood and uh, a working class school where I was not the best student. I was not top of my class. I wasn't a great basketball player, even though I was on the team. And I didn't get really good grades. I didn't, you know, read a lot. I didn't join any clubs. I was just a really basic kid. And I think it's important for the average student, maybe below average student, to hear a story of somebody who is sitting in their shoes to know that they're not a fully formed person yet. And just because you're not the most high achieving student, that you can still achieve something. You can still have goals and dreams and that you're not done just because you weren't the best kid in school, the best kid in class. And I think that's a really valuable message to give young people. Because I didn't know that I was going to be good in school until I went to college. I didn't have the discipline or the right person or mentor as a young person to kind of pull me in the right direction. It wasn't until I went to community college and my wife kind of helped me teach me how to study, and I had to learn how to learn, to learn to be to want to learn. And that didn't come until I became an adult. So I think going to talk to young people, let them know that, hey, 
it's not too late if you didn't get that in high school that you can still, as an adult, learn to love education and learn to love yourself and still be able to go out there and do the things you want to do with your life. Thank you. And I definitely agree. And, you know, you might not like love school right now, but there's still time. Absolutely. It's great. And I'm sure they really appreciated that. I think so. Where can our listeners find your book? Uh, They can find it everywhere. It's here at Bookworks at the bookstore here in town and Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. And it's also at your public library. So if you can't afford to actually purchase the book, you can go to a library and check it out and it'll be sitting there waiting for you, which I love libraries and librarians. So if you can't afford to actually run out and buy the book, it'll be sitting at your library. You can go check it out and read it for free. Great. Thanks. Is there anything else that you would like to add? I would just like to thank you for your time. And I'd love the opportunity to come and talk to young people, especially those seeking social justice and want to make the world a better place. And that's what my goal is to do, too. I just want to thank you for, you know, like putting in the work to put out a book that anyone like in the Southwest can pick up and be like, oh, hey, I understand this or this reminds me of me or something like that, because it's really important and it's not very common. Right. To me, that's the goal is for us to have a book that we can hold and be like, well, this is us and for us to have pride in. Thank you. Thank you. This is Kenya Alonso with Generation Justice. Thank you, Matt Mendez, for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you, Matt Mendez, for talking about your book with us. Something that caught my eye was how you spoke about finding identity as a youth of color. This resonated with me, and I thank you for that. You just heard My Home by Youth Hip Hop Brass Band, H2O, featuring local hip hop artist, Freddie Flopez. It's time for our community calendar. Our calendar hosts tonight are Lily Lukau and Zaid Zayi. Hello everyone, I'm Lily Lukau, one of your calendar hosts. And I'm Zaid Alejandro Larquier Zioi. Let's get started with our calendar of events. What's up first, Lily? The first event we have is the Civic Skills Workshop on Tuesday, October 29th, from 5.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. at International District Economic Development Center at 111 Wyoming Boulevard, Northeast. Hey, Lily, what is that? Well, the Civic Skills Workshop focuses on economic development, planning, and redevelopment projects, and how these things can have a negative impact on communities. The workshop will offer a hands-on session on how to navigate the city's development ordinances. For additional information, you can contact Francine Pacheco at 505-924-3345 or visit cabq.gov. Our next event is Climate Strike Returns to Roundhouse and Fracked Water Reuse Hearing. This direct action event takes place on Wednesday, October 30th from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the NM Roundhouse and a public comment hearing in Santa Fe. On this day, climate strikers return to the Roundhouse to demand a declared climate crisis and emergency in New Mexico and they will offer public comment of of proposed use of fracked water. Hey Zaid, where will public comments happen? 
at St. Francis Auditorium at 331 Sandoval Street in Santa Fe. For more information, you can contact Earth Care or Fight for Our Lives Albuquerque on Facebook. Now, we want to give you information about the candidates in this year's APS school board's election. They are running for seats in District 1, which includes downtown and the South Valley, District 2, which includes the Corrales area, and District 4, which includes Knob Hill and the International District. Starting with the incumbent from District 1, Yolanda Montoya Cordova, who is a Democrat and was Director of School Health for New Mexico Department of Health for over 10 years. The opponent for District 1 is Madeline Jones, who has a business ownership background and whose family attended APS. For District 2, the incumbent is Peggy Muller-Aragon, who is a Republican with 26 years of classroom experience. The District 2 opponent is Lori Harris, who is a Democrat and taught math and technology in APS for 21 years. The incumbent for District 4 is Barbara Peterson, who worked in APS for 35 years and is a Democrat. The District 4 opponent is Verlin Coker, who is an advocate and tutors students and is an independent. The information we shared tonight is according to the APS website and reporting from the Albuquerque Journal. That's it for our community calendar tonight. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed this hour of Youth Voice. We'd like to thank our guests Isabella Baker, Jacob Martinez, and Matt Mendez. Tonight's Hour of Radio was produced by Kateri Zuni and Roberta Rael. Tonight's program was engineered by Barbara Ramirez. We'd like to thank our interviewer, Zan Dixon, and our calendar host, Zaid Lakied Ziai, and Lily Lukau. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We cannot do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you. KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcast, which is also available on SoundCloud and iTunes. We're also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from Con Alma Health Foundation and of course, all of you you have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D. Our last songs of the night are ABC by The Jackson 5, followed by Young Folks by Peter B. Jorn and John. I'm Elijah Cage. I'm Gianna Ramirez. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Good night, New Mexico. Come on, come on, let me show you what it's all about